a, a Sunday school teacher was trying to teach the Ten Commandments to her young students. And she thought it would be most helpful if she used examples that her students could could relate to that show how the Ten Commandments might apply to everyday life. So she said to the class, Early one Saturday morning, Johnny's parents had to run an errand. And they asked Johnny to wash the dishes while they were gone. When they returned, Johnny was playing video games. And the dishes were still unwashed. The teacher asked, which commandment applies here? And in one accord, the class responded, honor your father and mother. Good, said the teacher. And she gave another example. Annie went shopping with her mother. And when no one was looking, she slipped a candy bar into her pocket without planning to pay for it. Again, the class was quick and they responded, you shall not steal. Great, said the teacher. And she gave one more example. George was having a bad day. And he lost his temper. He got angry with his little sister. And grabbing her pet kitten by the tail, he threatened to pull it off. Now this was a much tougher example. And everyone in the class was quiet for a moment. And then one bright little fellow brightened up and shouted, What God hath joined together, let no one separate. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) Yes. Smart kid. That's right. This morning we are beginning uh, a sermon series through the Ten Commandments. And with those words, if you're like me, you may have already had the picture of Charlton Heston uh, portraying Moses uh, walking down the mountain with these these stone uh, tablets uh, in his hand. That's just me. Maybe maybe you understand. But let me tell you, there's more uh, to the to the Ten Commandments than uh, than that. And for the next uh, ten Sundays, beginning this Sunday, uh, we are going to begin this enormous and intimidating uh, undertaking of studying the the Ten Commandments. And before we, we kind of dive into these things uh, headlong, I need to give you some, some background information and then explain in general terms what the Ten Commandments were all about. Okay? 
a little over 2,000 years before Christ was born, God established a covenant, a contract with a man named Abram. Abram trusted God. And he was graciously counted as righteous by God because of his faith in God. And God gave him the new name of Abraham. For he would be the father of many. In this covenant... God promised Abraham that that through his children, looking far, far, far ahead to Christ, all the people of the earth who live by faith would be blessed. The covenant continued to Abraham's son, Isaac, and to his son, Jacob, whom God later renamed Israel. Jacob, or Israel, if you will, had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of Jacob's sons, Joseph, was sold into slavery in Egypt by his jealous brothers. But by God's divine plan, he used Joseph to preserve the people of Israel during a very long and very severe famine. The people of Israel moved into Egypt where food was plentiful. And they continued to reside in Egypt. But unfortunately, there was a change in leadership in Egypt. Things took a turn for the worst. And the Israelites became enslaved by the Egyptians for some 400 years. God knew this. He saw their suffering. He heard their cries. And when the time was right, God tasked Moses with liberating his people from their slavery and bondage in Egypt. And this great exodus towards the promised land began. Now it's important to keep in mind that at this point, God's people knew nothing but slavery and bondage. That's all they have known. Okay? Slavery and bondage. They didn't know what it was like to live in freedom. But here they are, free and on the move. If you recall, in Exodus chapter 14, they had the Red Sea experience, which we've been looking at on Wednesday nights, where God parted the water, allowing them to cross safely to the other side. And once safely across, they were full of praise 
for God. But they were also in the wilderness where several difficult trials awaited them that required God's help. Three months after they departed Egypt, the Israelites made it to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where they remained for almost a year. It was out at Mount Sinai where God would enter into a covenant, again a contract, with His people. Moses went up the mountain and God explained to Moses that the Israelites would be His people. His treasured possession. A kingdom of priests. A holy nation. If they accepted and obeyed The covenant. Then Moses went down the mountain. And he informed the elders of of Israel about God's covenant. And his plan to make them his unique people. And the people were excited about it. The people prepared themselves. And three days later... God descended from heaven onto Mount Sinai in awesome display of power and majesty. We're told the mountain violently quaked. There were flashes of lightning and booming thunder, fire and smoke, and there was the sound of a very long and loud trumpet. Witnessing this, the Israelites trembled in fear, for they were amazed beyond measure. God then called Moses, poor Moses, back to the top of the mountain, and he climbed back up. He must be in shape by now. With the exception of Aaron, God told Moses to warn all the priests And all the people not to come up the mountain in curiosity, for they would surely perish. Once again, Moses goes back down the mountain and he gave this warning to the people. They could only stand at the foot of the mountain. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 20. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20, and we will begin with verses 1 and 2. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. Should be easy to find. Are you there? Okay. We are told, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let's stop there. This is a passage that is often overlooked when thinking about the Ten Commandments. 
but it's really important. We're told in verse 1 that God spoke all these words. Now let's stop there for a moment because I want to point something out. When God gave the Ten Commandments, He spoke to all the Israelites as they were assembled with Moses at the foot of the mountain. This might be portrayed differently in some of the movies you may have seen. Before the commandments were written in stone, they were first given to all the people by the voice of God. This had an impact on the people. In fact, it terrified them so much so that later we see in verses 18 and 19, after God had spoken to them, the people go to Moses and say, no more of that. We can't handle that. And they asked that God not speak directly to them again. Instead, Moses could be their their messenger, their go-between. In verse 2, God introduces himself to his people. And he says to them, I am your God. In the ancient world, including Egypt, where they had just left, people worshipped many false gods. But here, the Lord sets himself apart from any other supposed deities. I am your God. Not an imposter. Not a false God. Not simply a higher power. Not some impersonal force. But I am your God. Before God tells them what to do. He tells them why He can tell them what to do. Before God gives them His commands, He reminds them what He has done for them. Something they could not do for themselves. God reminds them that He rescued them. He freed them from slavery in the land of Egypt, which would include everything God had done in bringing them out. The plagues against Egypt, the Red Sea experience, turning bitter water into drinkable water, providing manna from heaven, and so on and so on. The point is, because of, God, of, because of who God is and what God has done, He has the right to tell His people what to do. And His people have an obligation to do what He tells them to do. Now before we look at the first commandment, we need to talk about the commandments in general. The Ten Commandments are God-based rules of moral conduct, which serve as the foundation for the law. We could say 
that these rules are the framework for their constitution as a nation under God. Which will make up Israel's religious and civil and ceremonial laws. Remember as I said before, God's people had been in bondage under the thumb of the Egyptians. That's all they knew. But now they are free and they need to function as a nation with rules. These rules were specifically given to the Israelites at a certain time and in a certain place and they were given by God. Not by Moses. And in the process of giving these rules, and this is important, the rules revealed something about the rule maker. They are a reflection of God's divine nature and character. Declaring from His point of view, from His perspective, what is right and what is wrong. These are God's moral standards. His moral law. And it's important to point out that what occurred on Mount Sinai in giving the Ten Commandments was not the invention of God's moral standards. For people were given a conscience. All cultures, all civilized cultures have said that murder is wrong and kindness is good. All agree we have particular obligations to our families. All say that honesty is good and stealing is wrong. People instinctively know what is right and what is wrong. It's implanted in their hearts and in their minds. So here on Mount Sinai... We don't have the invention of God's moral standards. Rather, we have the formal declaration of them in the form of the Ten Commandments. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, as we make our way through the Ten Commandments during the next several weeks, you will notice they are broken down into two parts. The first four commandments focus on the relationship between a person and God. Whereas the second six commandments focus on person-to-person relationships. And if you recall, Jesus made the same distinction when He explained and summed it all up in just two commandments. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. We read, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, 
they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him, asking Jesus a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus said the law, actually the entire Old Testament, because he said the law and the prophets hangs on loving God and loving one another. And if you think about it, these God-based rules are motivated by love. And simply put, we are commanded to do whatever love requires us to do. That's what it boils down to. Do what love requires you to do. And it seems simple enough. But unfortunately, we can't even keep the two commandments from Jesus, much less the ten. So the question usually comes up. And I'm speaking to believers here. I'm speaking to Christians. Since we live under grace... And not under the law. Are the Ten Commandments still important to us? Are they still relevant? Have you heard that question before? That's a question that has been debated and is still being debated by many people. But I believe the answer is yes. And let me explain. When looking at the entire Bible, the Ten Commandments, which serve as the foundation of the law, was not, was not given so that the Israelites, or anyone else for that matter, could attain righteousness. A righteous standing before God has always been by faith in God. Just like Abraham was graciously counted as righteous because he trusted God. Long before the Ten Commandments ever came. No one is declared righteous. No one goes to heaven By keeping the law because no one except for Jesus could keep the law. The law was given to reveal sin. It exposed our wickedness. It formally, it formally made sin a violation. And it imposed a death penalty. Under the law, humanity was on death row, so to speak. And it created in us a desperate need 
for mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. So it is absolutely true that as followers of Christ, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are no longer under the control of the law. We're no longer condemned by it. We are delivered from the judgment of the law. Free from the death penalty that it imposed upon us. Because Christ took the penalty for us. In Christ, we have entered into a new covenant. The old has passed away. However, however, it is Scripture. And therefore, it must be important to us and relevant still. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, For training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture would include the Ten Commandments as well, would it not? And therefore, it should be profitable to us. So how could it be profitable to us? That is the question. First, we might say that the Ten Commandments serve as as road signs to keep us on God's moral path. As I said earlier, the Ten Commandments will not save anybody. They will not save anybody, but they may help. To keep us safe. Have you ever traveled to the gorge on Highway 14? It's a beautiful drive. It's a a scenic, scenic drive. But it can also be a dangerous drive if you don't pay attention to the road signs. There are some curves on that highway where the road signs tell you to slow down. And if you don't, especially in bad weather, you could experience the gorge up close and personal as you flip over a guardrail. There are many truckers who were apparently in a hurry that ignored these road signs. And they paid for it dearly. The Ten Commandments are like road signs. They're God's way of lovingly saying, watch out, don't do it, don't go there. It's like a parent telling a child, don't touch that hot burner or you will regret it. The Ten Commandments cannot Save us. 
but they may keep us safe. And we should not ignore them, even as Christians. Secondly, the Ten Commandments serve as a standard. God's standard. Showing us the heart and the desire of God for His people. It is true that we are no longer under the custody of the law. No longer condemned by it. We are no longer controlled by it. For we are led by the Holy Spirit. But I think we should still respect it because it gives God's standard for what is right and what is wrong. And I should point out here that as believers, they are only a starting point. For we operate under a higher standard. Where God looks beyond the external behavior and now looks at the heart. For example, Jesus took it up a notch when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, listen to this. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. That's a Ten Commandment, right? You shall not commit murder. And whosoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. He said that. So the Ten Commandments serve as a standard for godly living. And it's just our starting point for what God says is right and wrong. The Ten Commandments lay the foundation for God's moral standards. Especially in a time where people are making up their own. Standards. In their book, The Day America Told the Truth, James Patterson and Peter Kim laid down the law for postmodern times. They observed that today there is absolutely no moral consensus at all. Everyone is making up their own personal moral codes. Their own Ten Commandments. Patterson and Kim proceeded to list what they call the Ten Real Commandments. The rules that according to their surveys, people actually live by. 
these rules included some of the following. I will steal from those who won't really miss it. I will lie when it suits me. So long as it doesn't cause any real damage. I will cheat on my spouse. After all, given the chance, he or she will do the same. People change standards to suit themselves and to justify their own behavior. Claiming what is true and right for them may not be true and right for you, but that's okay. Well, let me tell you, it's not okay. For ultimately, it will be God's standards by which mankind will be judged. Not your standards, not my standards, but His standards. Lastly, and maybe most importantly, the Ten Commandments are important and relevant to us Because they reflect God's nature and character. God poured Himself into them. And it honors God and pleases Him when we take Him at His word and when we obey Him. Okay. We've made it finally to the first commandment. (laughs) Found in Exodus chapter 20 verse 3. Where God tells his people, you shall have no other gods before me. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this first commandment because it naturally and logically flows from our understanding of who God is and what he has done for his people. Because of that, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. When God says you, and this is important, that is singular. That is personal. In other words, this command is not directed to the nation. It's directed to each individual. It is spoken to each person as if God has singled them out by name. He says you. Yes, you. I'm talking to you. You shall have no other gods before me. Those words before me literally mean to my face. That's what that means. To my face. You shall have no other gods to my face or in my face, we might say. You shall have no other gods in my face, none beside me, none before me, none after me, and none except For me. 
In other words, God alone is God, and there is absolutely no other God. This was a critical commandment for the Israelites who came out of Egypt where there were many false gods who were worshipped. Plus, we know the Israelites will be prone to seeking and worshipping false gods. Trusting in their idols and forsaking the one and only true God. If you recall, just days later, they made a golden calf. While Moses was back up on the mountain getting the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments of all things. They forgot who God is. They forgot the God who delivered them. They forgot they were God's very own people. Here's the bottom line. For every one of us, God must be first in our lives. Preeminent. That's where the Ten Commandments begin. And it speaks more about a relationship with Him than a rule imposed by Him. The story is told of an old farm couple who were driving along in their pickup truck when the wife said, We never sit all snuggled up in the truck like we used to. The husband looked at her and said, I haven't moved. I haven't moved. God doesn't move away from us. The truth is, we move away from him. Hence the command, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what it's all about. We are so prone to move from God. To give Him second place in our lives. When He wants to be first. We act like we can just add Him to our lives. When He says, I don't want you to add me to your life. I want your life. All of it. We're so prone to move away from Him. And that's why He says, You shall have no other God before Me. And that poses a question, doesn't it? Do we have other gods before Him? Now we might say, well, I don't have any other gods. Do you love other people more than you love the Lord? Do you love other things more than you love? the Lord? Do you trust people 
other people more than you trust the Lord? Do you trust other things more than you trust the Lord? You get my point? Those are gods. Anything that we love and trust more, any person that we love and trust more than God are gods that we are putting in His face. And He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't move away from me. You are my people. That's what he told you. You're my people. You're my treasured possession. You're a kingdom of priests. I've delivered you. For us, he sent, I've sent my son to die in your place. I love you that much. Don't move away from me. That's what he says. That's what he's saying to us. Don't move away from me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again. I just thank you so much for your love and your mercy. I, I, can, never, uh, I can never get away from that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you that you love us, that you desire the very best for us, and that you gave us your rules to keep us close to you, to keep us safe. You gave us your rules to convict us just how far away we often are from you. And you gave us your rules to point us to a Savior. Thank you, Lord. Father, help us not to move away from you. Give us a desire. Give us a passion. Give us a yearning to stay close to you. To be your people. Help us to love you. Lord, I pray that you bring us to that place where we just don't add you to our lives. Where we just don't give you a part of us. But Lord, you bring us to that place where we give you absolutely all of us. Our entire life, we give it to you. Father, may you be pointed out. May you be honored and glorified. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank you for being here this morning. I know I didn't spend a lot of time on that first commandment, but I felt like I needed to spend a little more time with just the, the commandments in general. Only Jesus could keep those commandments, couldn't he? And they are a death sentence to those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He gave us His law to point us to a Savior. That's what He did. Without that law, without, without seeing our need, we would, not, we would not desire the remedy. It was Jesus Christ. The law points us to Jesus. That's why it's relevant today as well. Just to share the to share with the lost 
The law has a purpose. It just points out how far away we are from God. But we're in Christ. Right? We know Christ is our Lord and Savior. And still, and still, we can walk away a little bit. We can keep our distance. We scoot down the seat, right? Just like that, like the wife in the truck. And wonder why, wonder why, why aren't we close anymore? Why aren't we close? Why don't we have that loving feeling like we used to? Why aren't we snuggling like we used to? And what's the Lord say? I haven't moved. I haven't moved one inch. You're the one that's moved. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get angry. It's so easy to get flustered and confused with him, isn't it? And we just move away. And all he asked is to move right back. Come right back. That's what he asked us. That's what he asked us to do. I don't know where you are this morning. I hope the Lord is... Has, uh, has spoken to you this morning through His Word. He loves us. He loves us so much. And He wants us to move back, move closer to Him. Maybe if you're honest, you, you, you might recognize that you're at the other end of the truck seat and need to move back close to the Lord. Whatever, whatever that takes, whatever that takes, just repent of whatever you're dealing with. Come back to the Lord. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You recognize you're just going through the motions. You just you come to church and you open your Bible, spend five minutes there, and that's it. Quick, quick prayer. You can talk about. You can talk about a political candidate for five hours without without taking a breath. Spend five minutes talking about Jesus. Spend five minutes in your Bible. Eight hours watching Fox News. Am I getting am I getting personal now? Have we moved away? Yeah, I think many of us have. And he wants us to move back. Whatever's pulling you away, confess it, Lord. I I don't want anything. I don't want to put any gods in your face. I just want you. And I want you to have all of me. Right? It's not that, yeah. He wants all of us. And that requires something that none of us want to do. And that is surrender. We hate that. But he wants us to surrender ourselves to him. Lord, I'm all yours. I'm moving to you. Do whatever you wish. That's what he asks. So however the Lord moves you this morning, I just pray that you'd respond to him in obedience. Just respond in obedience. I'll be here to, to, to greet you if you want to pray about something. Again, however the Lord moves. Just obey him. Let me close uh, in prayer. I'm going to pray for our offering uh, this morning and also for our fellowship. I think we got plenty of ice cream. Uh, so, yeah, more than, more than, 
More than plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice cream for ice cream. Absolutely. There's a lot of it. So uh, feel free to stay. Heavenly Father, I, again, I thank you so much for uh, bringing us here this morning. Father, I do pray that you would keep us safe uh, in the midst of uh, this heat wave. Uh, Lord God, I just pray that um, you would give us the ability to stay cool. And uh, Lord, I just, again, uh, I thank you for that. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, for our offering this morning, that you would help us as a church to use your money wisely. Uh, Father, give us uh, insight and discernment as, as to how to, to properly deal with those resources that you give us. Bless the gift and the giver. And Lord, also thank you for those who, who have prepared uh, food for us uh, this afternoon. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies, Lord. Bless those who have prepared. And Lord God, I just thank you so much for this time. Bless our fellowship together. May it be, uh, be pleasant, Father, and sweet. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.